Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs that assist in recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Due to the coronavirus restrictions in Melbourne, we're chatting via Zoom. Today, my guest is a compulsive gambler who's recovering with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, I'd like to welcome Kevin to the show. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Bill. I'm Kevin. I'm a compulsive gambler and I haven't gambled for 6,118 days. So how long is that in years? That's, uh, it's actually 16 years and nine months today. Wow. Today is an anniversary, but I celebrate every one of those days. Yeah, I'm Just sure you do. <laughs> every day away from gambling is a holiday. Yeah. Okay. So usually we start talking about family and growing up. So, you know, what's, what's your memory of family? And did you have any gamblers or alcohol or drugs in your family when you were growing up? Not really, Bill. Uh, my family, due to their religious beliefs, did not drink or gamble. Uh, but the isms were there. When I look back into family history, there is a lot of alcoholism. And... Uh, there's a bit of gambling too. Actually, my, my grandfather was the first jockey in New South Wales to be suspended. His charge was falling off a winning horse whilst drunk. And that's back in the, back in the 1860s. Uh, that's something I found out interesting. But, um, what is interesting, Bill, is I, I was born into not favourable circumstances. Um, a, a family that was poor economically. My first home after leaving the hospital was a car garage with my six siblings, my two parents, and about 200 chooks living in a garage. Because uh, my family were wiped out two years before I was born with the great floods of Western New South Wales in, in 1955. Shortly after that, they bought a property outside Tamworth in New South Wales, uh, uh, a small property of 14 acres, uh, and the house was a four-room house. Not a four-bedroom house, a four-room house. So I was born into poverty, you could say, but the, the big thing was my mother passed away when I was four years old, and uh, I was subsequently raised by my sister and her husband, who incidentally was only... 19 years old, and she had the responsibility of six kids under the age of 13. Yeah, so that's where I start. Um, whether that influenced my gambling, I think it did, because I think at the beginning it was a, a chance to cross that line into being comfortable financially. Yeah, money was something that was never available to me as a child, and... Uh, yeah, when I started gambling properly at 15, that was one of the attractions. 
So were you living on a farm or? Eventually we were living on a farm. Um, about uh, a couple of years after I was born, we moved to a small farm. It was a mixed farm. Um, it didn't, it provided the essentials for the family. My father was a green grocer and he sold his wares off the back of a truck. And, uh, but he had this, he was never ever going to be a wealthy man, Bill, because he, he gave everything away. One of my first memories is my dad walking out to his truck with a pair of my shoes, which he intended to give to a young boy across the other side of town who needed shoes. And dad's attitude was, it's okay, Kevin, I'll get you shoes when I can afford it. So my family was a very given family. Um, but we were a large family as well. Yeah. So what about growing up and going to school? Was um, was your life pretty straightforward? Not really, Bill, because um, my mum died when I was four and I was raised by a sister. Um, so I was very confused. And I look at uh, school photos of those real early days and I see a very depressed young boy. But in those days... Uh, assistance wasn't readily available and I just slipped through the system there Bill um, I have another disability dyslexia so I actually left school barely able to write my name yeah that makes it very hard doesn't it it did but it doesn't anymore that's good so did you get on well with your the rest of your family Yes, but I lost them all. We lost contact. So I was brought up with nephews and nieces as my siblings. My actual siblings um, disappeared all around Australia. And part of my recovery is the finding of these siblings and the finding of my extended family. And that's something that I've been working on for 12 years, Bill. And right. uh, we, we're all back together and we're all living as a family should live. Oh, that's good. So were they interstate as well? Yes, yes, anywhere from Perth, Tasmania to Cairns. Um, a couple of them were adopted out, and it, it, it was it was a chore to find many of them, um, but it was part of what I had to do to fill that that thing that was missing in my life that partly caused my obsession to gamble. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just going back to school, so having learning difficulties makes it difficult for kids, but did you get on with other kids pretty well? Uh, I would say I got on with kids that were like me, that were a little bit, uh, I don't like the word different, but had had issues in life. Challenges, yeah. Yeah, I, I, but I left school at a very early age too, Bill. Yeah, so what did you do when you left? My first job was working in a push bike shop, uh, full time at nine dollars a week. <laughs> yeah, that sounds funny now, but nine dollars a week was my wage. So we still living at home, I assume. At first, yes, but I left home at fifteen. Yep. Uh, after my family relocated to Brisbane, I didn't seem to. I didn't like Brisbane. I didn't fit into Brisbane, so I left home and. I lived in the Roman houses in the inner suburbs of Brisbane, which okay. are just like they are in the inner suburbs of Melbourne. Yeah, they're not a, not a very satisfactory way to live, that's for sure. So 
How did you come in contact with gambling? It was in one of those rooming houses, Bill. It was a, a, a Canadian guy. He was in his 60s and uh, he developed a system for the races that was going to make him a millionaire. And his problem was he didn't have a job and he didn't have any money. <laughs> and I, I was a 15-year-old kid with a job and possibly some money, so he shared it with me. And he took me to the races for the first time and I simply loved it. I was enthusiastic, passionate and, yeah, and I just fell into it. And, yeah, that's how it started. Yeah. Most gamblers I've spoken to have had some initial success gambling. So did you have that? To be honest with you, Bill, I don't remember. <laughs> I, I would have, but uh, all I know is that it was... I was excited about it. I was passionate about it. And all I wanted was the next result. Um, and uh, I fell into it. And perhaps I did have some success. I'm sure I did. But I really can't remember. It's almost irrelevant to me. Yeah. A lot of the gamblers also talk about um, the winning isn't isn't so much. It's about the the buzz, the feeling, the the fact that it takes it takes you out of yourself. So did you have that as well? Yes, very much so. It was an escape for me, escape from reality. Um, and uh, it's a very unreal world, the world of gambling. So it started in horses, but I gambled in anything. Um, a lot of my youth was spent around country Australia in in on farm, on sheep stations and that. And I used to have a game, Bill, where I'd get the old can of fly spray, spray the room and have a wager on which fly died. Yeah. It was just the excitement and the need to have that winning feeling. Yeah. That's what it was about. So $9 a week's not much to be gambling on. So did you have, oh. where, where'd you get extra money? That was prior to my gambling bill. Um, oh, okay, yeah. There was another. There were other jobs in between there, and by the time I started gambling, it was probably around forty or fifty dollars a week. But we do have to put things in perspective. That's probably yeah equivalent to you know eight hundred dollars a week today on today's standard. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I was working in a supermarket setting at that stage, and uh, yeah, and and that was sufficient. I think I think rent in those days was probably about ten dollars. Food was probably cost me about ten dollars, so it gave me fifty percent to gamble with. Okay, so if you didn't have any of a family around, sort of, what was your support network like? I didn't have any, Bill. Right. Um, my my support network, I guess, were older men who. I guess didn't have much success in life. A lot of these people were either affected by alcohol, drugs, or gambling. Um, so I was a bit of a loner from the very start. I became very street smart, and um, I guess I became a survivor. Yeah. Were you ever living on the street? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if I could tell you a little story, because my gambling was progressive in nature. The, the illness is progressive. So I was 23 and uh, 
I was living in Brisbane and I escaped a situation and I found myself in Melbourne, um, homeless, just a few coins in my pocket. And uh, I ended up at the Gill Memorial. I don't know if you remember that, Bill. It was in a Beckett Street run by the Salvation Army. And I was there, I was 23 years old and all I had to my name was a T-shirt, a pair of shorts, a black fong and a green fong. And I remember thinking this can't get worse until someone stole my green fong. <laughs> and, uh, but I had to survive that so I was able to get a job. Uh, and that's an interesting thing because it was through that job that I met my wife, uh, not knowing what love or, um, or anything was about, not knowing what commitment was. But she decided she'd marry me because she liked me and she wanted to do something to help me. But uh, I don't know, somehow it worked. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I think that's what love is. Yeah. 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 So what sort of work were you doing at this stage? Oh, you, I think you said you were working in supermarkets. No, by this stage, by the, the, the 20s, I had become a professional salesman. Um, I, and I, I can't I was selling things door to door in those days um, and succeeding. Um, and uh, my career went towards sales at first and I became a, in my, Later 20s, I became a used car salesman and, and entered management soon, soon after. Um, I actually changed that career, Bill, in my, in my recovery because my recovery does depend upon complete honesty. And I found I had to change my career and I now work in the field of supporting people with disabilities and mental health. So a complete change. Yeah, uh, absolutely. To the program. Yeah. So I guess that would have given you a lot more money. So was gambling becoming a problem? Yes, Bill. It really became a problem at the birth of my second child. That's when I think I crossed that complete invisible line because that's when I started to question my ability to provide for a family. And gambling changed. It became a means of supplementing my income. And it, it seemed to be, to me, to be easier than working and selling cars. Uh, so that's when I think it all changed. Up to then, I could probably say, although there were moments of bad times due to my gambling, the majority of the time gambling was actually entertainment and fun up to that stage. Right. So gambling sort of requires you to spend a, a bit of time on your own and a bit of time, you know, sort of manipulating finances and stuff like that to pay for your gambling. So did that inter interfere with your relationship with your wife? Oh, yeah, definitely did. Um, I don't know how she put up with me. Uh, lies, lies and lies, yeah. And I started believing my lies, Bill. Um, I actually had the capacity to earn quite a good income, yet we were we were living on on nothing and uh, and hardly surviving at times. Yeah, and um, at that time, Bill, we were in rental accommodation, and there were times that rent wasn't being paid, and she had no idea of this until um, 
until the end. Uh, rent wasn't being paid, uh, car payments weren't being paid, and, and she would be given a very small amount of money to provide for the family as far as food goes. So yes, we, I would say 90% of our arguments were around finances and around me telling lies. So was it, was it easy for you to get your hands on money? Sounds like it. But I did have to commit illegal acts to, to get the amount of money I needed, Bill, because uh, no bet, no win was ever big enough. Right. Um, I, entered, I had a, a dream of this huge win, but no win ever seemed to be big enough. And if I had a run of losses, I'd have to resort to, to crime. I, I called it borrowing, but it was yep. stealing. Yeah. It was stealing. Okay. Well, listen, we might take a short break there. Our first song is World Waits For You by Son Vault off the Grey's Anatomy album.
Isolated? Quarantined? Need some essentials but can't leave the house? Or just having a hard time dealing with everything at the moment? Queer Aid NAM is a new mutual aid group of organized volunteers. We're here, we're queer, and we've got your back. Whether or not that's how you identify, nobody should be suffering because capitalism or the state didn't provide what they needed. That's why we're working to strengthen our communities through solidarity. Put in a request for help and we'll match you with a volunteer in your area who can either pick up groceries or other essentials for you, help you run errands, cook meals for you, or check in with how you're going. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, or if you want to join the volunteer list, find us on QueerAidMelbourne.org or search for us via Facebook, COVID-19 QueerAidNAM Melbourne. So tell your family and your friends, and don't forget your neighbours. That's QueerAidMelbourne.org, a 3CR supporter. In 2020, 3CR is delivering our Beyond the Bars project differently. We've been speaking to the Indigenous men and women in Victorian prisons over the phone and we'll bring you those chats throughout the week of Monday, July the 6th to Friday, July the 10th. You can also catch up on the audio from the project online at 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars 2020. We want to see our men and women out of the prison system, but while they're still there, we will give them a voice through Beyond the Bars. Make sure you listen in. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then either head to your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our show's webpage, you'll find details about the Living Free Show and how you can contact us. Alternatively, you can just call the 3CR office on 03 9419 8377 and leave us a message. Today I'm talking about compulsive gambling with Kevin and we're talking about recovery through, through Gamblers Anonymous. So Kevin, we, we finished off talking about the need to borrow a bit of money so to enable your gambling. So how did that impact on your work? Well, I never took a day off. I couldn't. I couldn't risk being caught out. So at the time we're talking, Bill, I was in lower management level and I had control of the money. And um, as long as I could balance the books at the end of the month, I was okay. But as time went on, there were times that I couldn't balance those books. Uh, and that's when the difficulties started. And, uh, and this often affected my, my ability to perform my, my duties. Because as a salesman, it's all about emotion, about, about the good things about this car. And sometimes the depression is so, so great, the fear within me and the anxiety. I believe this is a very uh, emotional illness. And the results of my gambling uh, caused, caused feelings of anxiety and depression and I could not perform as a top line salesman feeling and worrying about 
what's going to happen when I get found, when I, when I was found out, because that was always on the cards that I would get found out. Yeah. And did you ever get found out? Not completely. No. Not completely. That may come into the story later. I didn't, okay. I didn't quite get, get found out for everything I did. I got found out for a spore misdemeanor. So did, did your boss ever you know, take any action against you? No. Okay. So it, it was affecting your work life, but it must have been affecting your family life as well. Mm, very much so. Um, it, um, I remember Bill early in recovery, and we're talking a couple of years of not gambling. And I, I remember my wife having a, a morning tea with her friend, and her friend said, Kevin's a really nice guy. And my wife, Debbie, said, yes, he is a really nice guy when he tries, but he can be an absolute bugger without even trying. Um, yeah. Yeah. So did it affect your, your marriage? Uh, yes, it did. Uh, but as I said, Bill, I didn't even know what marriage was about, so I didn't recommend it. Our marriage has developed since I found recovery. I think after I found recovery was when we found we found each other as you know, lifetime partners. Before that, it was just a matter of convenience. So I really didn't care about wife. Um, she cared about me, but it was it was very much a one-sided relationship. Yeah. So how about your your kids? What was your relationship like with them? When I came to Gambler's Anonymous Bill, my children were very confused, somewhat angry, young children. Right Today, they've grown into very fine young adults. They've had the opportunities that weren't presented to me, such as education, career choice, um, and, uh, yeah, and they live what I would consider normal, happy lives for young Australian girls. Yeah. We have a very close relationship. And, uh, and Bill, when my daughter, my youngest daughter was married, at the end of the reception, she gave me a card. And it read, Daddy, I married Ben because he shows very similar characteristics and ethics to what you show. And should Ben become half the man and half the father you have become, our children and I will be very safe and happy. And that is unbelievable. Yeah. That's but that's very impressive. Yeah. That took time, Bill. Yeah. Time takes time. Yeah. So how long did you gamble before gambling started to become a big impact on your life? Which suggests twenty-five years. Okay. And what was what was your gambling like towards the end? What's sort of a normal day in the life of a gambler who's 
really uh, ramped up the gambling and it's it's a daily occurrence. Yes, it was um, seven days a week and it, it's, uh, it had no boundaries, Bill. By this stage, I'd, I'd gone to another form of gambling. Um, gambling is gambling, but I, I'd gone towards the poker machines. And in those days, Bill, poker machine venues were 24-7. And uh, I would be in poker machine venues at any given moment during the work hours, um, during any time that I could find money, I would be at a gambling venues. By this time, time Bill, I'd taken on a second income. I was driving taxis um, as a second income. And I'd do a few a few trips in the cab and I'd be in a gambling venue. The moment I could get my hands on a little bit of money, I was gambling. But there was never any plan. Um, there was never any plan and, and there was never any, any win big enough. At times I'd have five machines going at once. And when I partic uh, participated in my, in my love of horse racing, I'd go to a horse racing meeting often in the country. I, I loved country meetings. And I'd have a reasonable day and I'd come home with a sum of money, but I'd hit a gambling venue and gamble that sum of money plus whatever else I had. So I always came home with nothing. And, um, and the stress of this, yeah, it put me in hospital on more than one occasion. At one one stage, Bill, they thought I was having heart problems, but it was just stress. Stress through the, the worry of what was going to happen next. Yeah. Did, did anybody suggest to you you had a problem with gambling? It was well hidden, Bill. Yeah. It was well hidden, and, um, and I portrayed a happy, loving father uh, it was a secret life what you saw on the outside was not what was happening on the inside uh, people knew I gambled but I don't think they knew to the extent that I gambled yeah so what was it like you know being a gambler at that point most gamblers I talk to sort of can't sleep very well because they're worried about how they're going to balance the books. And the first thought in the morning is about gambling. So what was, what was your, what was your life like in that later stage? Yes, it was like that, Bill. Um, the postman was my enemy. This was the days before most people had internet and emails and, and I used to have to yeah, be there for when the postman comes so I could hide the bills. Uh, I used to unplug the telephone from the wall. We didn't have, well, we had mobile phones but most of our communication was on the landline. I used to have to pull the plug out so it wouldn't ring so my wife wouldn't find out. Um, it was... It was very much about getting that big win, that that big win that would make all the difference, that would be able to possibly stop my gambling. I needed a big win, and it had to be a huge win to um, to cover the debt that I was in. 
Uh, I didn't even know how much debt I was in, Bill. I had no idea. Yeah. So how did you raise the money? How did I raise the money to gamble? Is that the yeah. question? Yeah. Um, by not paying the bills, by not living up to the responsibilities. Um, so if I needed to gamble, as I said, I wouldn't pay the rent. If I needed to gamble, um, other things just got forgotten. All my money was for gambling. Um, and when things got bad, I stole. Caught a borrowing, but I stole. Um, so were they large amounts? Yeah, I think it's large amounts to me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, not large amounts to Bill Gates. I get the picture. Yeah. If I could keep that simple, Bill, I gambled more than I could afford. Yeah. That's simple. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the definition of a gambler, really. Mm. Yeah. So what, what caused you to reach out for help? What was the what was the event? Originally, Bill, it was uh, I ended up in hospital. Um, as I said, suspected heart condition. It was ten days that I was in hospital. When I came out of hospital, things started to happen. Uh, people started to come in and repossess the car repossessed the television. Uh, they even took the vacuum cleaner. It became out in the open, and um, and I went I went to Gamblers Anonymous uh, because I'd heard about it. And to be honest, Bill, I, I went to keep my wife quiet, not because I wanted to stop gambling. And I was actually in Gamblers Anonymous for four years before I could stop gambling for any length of time. Well, that, that's not too unusual. Uh, a lot of people have trouble stopping, but did you, were you just gambling? Did you have periods where you could, could stop or were you just not stopping at all? Yeah, no, I had periods. Um, I had periods of abstinence, uh, 10 months, 12 months and almost three years at one stage. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not. When I look back in hindsight, Bill, I'm not a hundred percent sure that I actually stopped for those periods. Yeah, I, I do feel I have memories of small periods of gambling within those periods where I just didn't say anything. So, did you acknowledge at GA that you were still gambling? No, I've got to say no to that. Oh, yes, yes, I did. I did when, um, yes, I, I did acknowledge it a couple of times, but not every time, Bill. There, yeah. there were were days where I'd have, I'd gamble, but there was no real consequences, only when the consequences were so great that, yeah, I had to. Yeah, okay. So... Did it make your wife happy that you were going to GA? Not for a long time, Bill. I think you have to you have to show recovery rather than talk about it. Uh, it does now. Yeah. Uh, but 
yeah, you lose that trust in a relationship. And when you lose that, yeah, you've lost the relationship. But uh, as I said, Bill, I don't know if we had a, a relationship until after I found recovery. It was just a convenience. Yeah, okay. Well, listen, we might take another short break there. Our second song is Love Will Come Through by Travis off the 12 Memories album.
If you're wrestling with feelings of anxiety, worry and depression, or finding the current social isolation measures hard to deal with, we would like to encourage you to call Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are seeking information about mental health or mental health services or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. If you feel it would be helpful to talk to someone about these issues during this difficult period, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111500. That's 1300 111500. Wellways supports 3CR. Accented women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accented women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the... How the can country. people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are, two, where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accented women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. Every Monday from 11am on Community Radio 3CR. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking with Kevin about recovery from compulsive gambling with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. Um, so, Kev, we're talking about um, coming into GA and that it took you about four years before you started to get serious about um, recovery. So what was the thing that caused you to start taking it seriously for, at that point? Um, I had over two years of absence. I still wasn't travelling too good. And I was in a place that I should never have been, a gambling venue with poker machines. And I don't believe I went there to gamble. I went there for a meal. But I had one coin left, one coin that wasn't enough to do anything with. I, I couldn't buy a soft drink uh, with that one coin. I couldn't buy a packet of chips, but it fitted into a slot. And I placed that coin in a slot and I pressed a button. And in the next 10 months, I did more damage than I'd done in 30 odd years of gambling. And uh, I actually, at the, as a direct result of that, I had a serious attempt on my life. And I came back to Gamblers Anonymous uh, via a psychiatric unit for the, the reason that I did not really want to die and then what happened from there Bill is I had actually accepted the facts about this illness and I, I wanted I really wanted what the second step of Gambler's Anonymous had, had promised me a normal way of thinking and living so I become what I call fair dinkum about this just fair dinkum about it I'd accepted the fact that I was absolutely powerless over that first bet. And my life was such, such a mess 
because of my gap and, and I'd accepted that and uh, I started to work through the 12 steps of recovery. It, it's a bit insane to come to a 12-step program with, and not want to work the 12 steps. That, to me now, looking back in hindsight, is absolute insanity. So I just became fair dinkum, Bill. So how did life start to change once you, uh, because part of 12 steps is becoming honest. So mm. how, how does that affect your life when you start becoming that honest? I think the first thing, Bill, is the moment I, the moment I got to this point where I, I really did want recovery, uh, my life started to change and I became a better husband and I got better and better at being a husband. I became a better father and I was more engaged and I became a better father. I became a better employee. I was more efficient at my job and I just got better. So um, I also had help. Um, we have a thing in Gambles Anonymous we call sponsorship. Well, this guy was not, I never ever asked him to be my sponsor, but he became my friend and he helped me in so many ways so many ways just simple ways um, and he helped me through those 12 steps of recovery because remember early in our conversation bill i said i left school hardly able to read or write yeah so i struggled with that um i did i did go to classes and admit that i had this problem and i received help and and i i was able to to learn to read and write and um so I struggled with these things, but but my friend, Brendan, he's not with us now, kept things very simple. Uh, he knew my issues and, and he kept it simple and he just kept encouraging me. Uh, there came a time, Bill, as I said, I was a used car salesman and I started to question what I was doing because by the time I got to work, I'd broken the honesty barriers of my program a dozen times before I even got to work. And I'd start to question, why did I say this to that person and why did I do that? And um, eventually, Brendan said to me, well, you've got two choices. You either have to learn to sell cars honestly or you've got to change your career. So I chose to change my career. But I, I think I think success breeds success and and. The day, yeah, the days turn into weeks and the weeks turn into months. And I think that's where it came from. The longer I was away from that first bed, the more comfortable I became with my life. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. It, it, um, it gives you some clarity. So did you, did you miss the, the feeling of, of gambling? Did, what, what filled that gap? Um, no, because I replaced it with gamblers and owners. Right. Uh, I got involved in gamblers and numbers. I did just didn't come to meetings. I got involved. I I helped groups in various positions. Um, I was um, I was doing everything I could to increase the quality of my life. Um, and uh, but I I actually Bill something I haven't mentioned is seven years into my recovery. Um, I relocated to a country area because my mortgage was based on these high sums of money that I was going to win on one day, yeah? 
So I had to sell up in Melbourne because I couldn't really afford to live in Melbourne. I moved out to the country. And um, I actually travelled during the normal times before COVID. I travelled two hours and two and a half hours to a meeting twice a week. Two hours to one and two and a half hours to another. So I'm very committed to Gamblers Anonymous. And I think that is what has really kept me in good stead. And that's why I believe the quality of my life is such, um, is so good. Had I just not gambled, I don't know whether the quality of life would have been as enhanced, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, really. And I think a lot of people feel that, that it's it, it's a change of way of life, to, that you you stop living two lives and you start living one life. Yeah. And live it fully. Yeah. So how has um, GA affected your your relationships with your family? You mentioned earlier that you you tried to, you know, try and find your your birth family and try and bring them back together again. So how's GA helped you with that process? Oh, Bill, that's amazing. Um, so, Bill... What's happened is there was a lot of hurt, a lot of harm in in my life and a lot of resentment. And the 12 steps of recovery are designed to, to help one deal with those things. And I think that's what happened, Bill. So, so as I started to explore my, my past, lots of questions came up. And, um, and I just, just started to search for for the answers and it's taken a long time but but the point is bill i've always put recovery first and for a lot of young fathers you've got to remember i was a young father when i came into recovery and a lot of young fathers um have difficulty with this they feel that they have to put their children first and their wife first and and although i did that i actually put recovery first and and those people, the people close to me, got the benefit from that uh, over the long period of time. Now, only a few weeks ago, Bill, with, with Zoom, I've been doing a lot of meetings on Zoom all over the world. And I said to my wife, I asked her, I said, am I spending too much on time on Zoom? Should I be spending more time with you now that I'm home more often than what I have been? And she said, no, go do another meeting. Yeah. Make it. All right. That's a very common thing that um, I I hear that people are, are worried about spending too much time at meetings and their partner says, no, look, just, just go. It's uh, You're a better person. Yeah. Yeah, no one's actually said to me, Bill, gee, Kevin, I wish you'd go back to camp. No one's <laughs> ever said that. <laughs> Strangely enough. Yeah. So what sort of things do you do differently now that than you did when you were gambling. What sort of day, you know daily things has it impacted in your life? So, I think your values or my values changed, Bill. Uh, money is not the great obsession for me now. Um, my day is is around the work I do. I work in a in a, a field where I help other people deal with the 
issues of their life, mainly people with mental health issues. And uh, it's all about enjoying life, enjoying the day. Um, I don't worry too much about the future, although I plan for the future. I've only got a few more years to retire. Uh, I know I only look 61, but I'm actually 62. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, like, uh, I know that the dream of the of the big mobile home and all that is out of the question. So I bought myself a second-hand caravan, which I'm currently building to house our needs. Um, my children are adults now. They are very important to me. Um, I have a lot of um, connections within Gamblers Anonymous and um, they are my friends. My friends um, are members of Gamblers Anonymous. I have very few friends outside the fellowship, but that's okay. Um, that's the way it needs to be. And um, in my day, look, I have bad days. We all have bad days. But my worst days now are still better than my best days in active addiction. Um, I know that I earn a certain amount of money and I know I have a certain amount of outgoings. So I plan that. I work within a budget. Uh, I'm very transparent. My wife knows exactly how much money is in the bag, uh, exactly how much money is owed. And, and I'm very honest about that. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, Bill. This thing just works. I'm enjoying life. Um, I didn't get get through all the heebie-jeebies of getting away from gambling to be miserable. No, if, I, no. if I leave anything with you, Bill, and is the fact that there is life after after recovery, and for me, it's it's bloody enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. So. NGA then, what what sort of things do you get involved in? Are you a sponsor yourself? I sponsor a number of young people, um, and um, I I've been secretary of various groups. I've 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 been involved in in all levels of Gamblers Anonymous, including uh, the administration side at RSL level, um, and. Um, Yes, I do sponsor people. Um, I do a lot of what you'd call temporary sponsorship. So I help people get going and then they find someone to be their sponsor. Um, I encourage people. One of the things, Bill, that I have been involved in in recent weeks is we became aware, I met a few people on Zoom that, like me, live in isolation, live a couple of hours away from a gambler's anonymous physical meeting. So a few of us have got together and we've actually started a, an ongoing Zoom meeting that will continue after lockdown um, is uh, goes back, yeah, after normal meetings come back to being the norm, a Zoom meeting for people who live in remote and isolated areas. And this is fantastic. So last week we had a, a gentleman from West Africa there is not a Gambler's Anonymous meeting in his country. He heard about it a week before. He just heard about it. We also have people on, on that meeting from India, uh, and some of those people 
One of those people I know of is very isolated in India, does not live in the city, lives way out the, the stick somewhere. So, so that's been something that I'm very proud of and very happy to be involved in. But we also identified isolation and remoteness as not necessarily meaning where you live. It could be that you've become older, you're now living in a nursing home, you're unable to get to physical meetings at night time. It could be your work permit, um, forbids you from doing regular meetings. So this meeting is ongoing and it's, it's, it's probably the proudest moment of my gambler's and numbers life is being involved in this. Um, and yeah, and I guess that's the graph of gamblers and numbers. I have found a purpose for my recovery in helping other people that also have difficulty in getting to meetings of gamblers and numbers because my recovery has largely depended on getting to regular meetings. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, listen, Kev, I think we'll have to um, call it a day there. Uh, that's about all we've got time for. Uh, so I'd like to thank you for uh, sharing your gambling recovery story with us and talking about how Gamblers Anonymous has, have help, has helped you. So thank you very much. Well, thank you for your time. It's been wonderful. Uh, if anybody's out there who'd like to find out a bit more about Gamblers Anonymous, uh, then you can phone them in Victoria on 03 9696 6108 or you can go online at gaaustralia.org.au for more information and some local phone numbers and the meetings. I hope you're better to join us again next week when we'll feature a special program talking with Alex Gerrick, the CEO of Fearless, about the effects and recovering from post-traumatic stress disorder. And thanks for listening today and stay tuned now for Alternative. Tune in to Billabong Beats Tuesdays at 11am with me, Gavin Moore giving a voice to both Western Kulin and Kulin First Nations peoples. Join me to talk about philosophy and dreamtime stories surrounding the waterhole, the sacred fire, the land, the plants and animals. Billabong Beats, 11am Tuesdays on 3CR. I don't know.